you guys, welcome to episode 62 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of, well, you guessed it, your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McEady. How are you? You know, I've said that opening 62 times, and it's very much, it's giving Shelly Duvall. Have you guys ever seen that clip of Shelly Duvall on YouTube uh, introducing... What was the name of that show she did in the 70s or the 80s? What the hell was that name? Hold on a second. I'm already Googling shit, and it's the first five minutes of the episode, but I need to know. Shelly Duvall television show. You guys are all screaming it at me right now. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, Just give me a second. Shelly Duvall's bedtime stories. Have you ever seen that clip on YouTube of Shelly Duvall, who you guys know that I absolutely worship, introducing her show? And there are like a thousand episodes, and every single time she opens the episode with, Hi. Or no, she says, Hello, I'm Shelly Duvall. <laughs> but there's <laughs> there's this montage of her saying it, and they show every single episode of her saying it, and she's in these like, I don't know, these in, these intoxicating, enticing looking locations. She's in the jungle, she's in a farm, she's underwater, she's at the library, she's in her car, uh, you know. Why are we talking about this? It's been one minute and 20 seconds and we're already off the rails. You guys, how are you? First of all, just to update you on my life, I know that you're all waiting with bated breath to hear, yes, goddammit, the cluster flies are gone. Your boy is no longer living in um, a cesspool or a crack house. Yes, yes, indeed. I no longer have cluster flies living in my windows. Uh, That Oregon Trail... Uh, Hail Farm Fantasy is no longer. I live in an apartment that is bug-free. Maybe not ghost-free, but you can't win them all. And I'm happy to be back recording in my normal space, not afraid of, you know, swarms of flies, not afraid for the Candyman to unleash his swarm on me in my apartment. Um, Let's just cut the bullshit and get right down to it. You guys, We fi- I-, I finally did it. I finally did it. You know, I finally did the thing. I took 25 pages of notes about Britney Spears and Kevin Federline. For you, I finally did it. I, I, you know, I think the unspoken thing on this podcast is like, how many fucking times are you going to talk about Britney Spears? How many fucking times are you going to compare everything to Britney Spears? Trust me, I know. It's followed me my entire life. I've told you that when I'm around close friends and family, if a topic gets brought up and they hear me say, well, you know, kind of relates to Britney. I I see faces turn. I see moods change. The energy changes. I'm sure a person who can read vibrations and colors would say that the energy turns black. Um, My aura lights up and everybody around me just goes dim. Everybody becomes gray. Um... As I'm like literally Edward Cullen sparkling, like living for that gig. Um, and I just thought, you know what, why why keep bullshitting and comparing every relationship on this podcast to Britney and Kevin and not just give you what you deserve, which is a Britney and Kevin episode. Like enough is enough. I'm done. You guys know I hate foreplay. I, truly, I do. It's, it's why bother? Let's just get down to it because I'm sleepy. You know what I mean? I it's it's time it's time we're 62 episodes in like you know what i mean we've talked about wilmer valderrama eight times in this podcast and i think that at some point in between that we should be talking more about britney spears um it's been a while since i recorded a britney episode 
The last one was Columbus Smart. What? <laughs> Wait, what is Columbus Short? Columbus Smart? What? Um, the last episode was Columbus Short, and that was, uh, I think, over a year ago, I want to say now. I think it was a year ago. I don't know. Um, it was like episode 13 or something. So it just felt like the right time. It feels like the right thing to do. I'd love to give my definitive, just my thoughts on this relationship from beginning to end and pick up where I left off. Um, as you know, typically I would do a whole fucking, you know, uh, retelling of the person's life. But um, we covered a very large portion of what was going on in Britney Spears's life before uh, Columbus Shore and leading up to it. So I just, you know, this kind of comes right after that. And I thought, how fun would it be to talk about her Vegas wedding? Really get down to the, the get down about what happened there. Um, and what was going on in Britney's life in 2004 leading up to her marriage, to her, uh, to her beau, Kevin Federline. I also, you know, I mean, we know things about Kevin Federline, but I thought it would be fun to kind of give him a tiny bit of a profile. I mean, after, you know, however many years, 15 years or however long it's been since they met, I think he deserves or whatever. You know what I mean? We verbally attacked Kevin enough. I think he deserves like a four minute little fucking thing from me or whatever on this podcast. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I thought it would be fun and I think, I still think it'll be fun and I've, I've taken as always an absurd amount of notes and I think that we should just get right into it. Um, I'm going straight in no chaser. Okay, I'm just giving it to you raw. We're talking about Britney Spears and Kevin Federline today, and I hope that you are ready. By the way, this is obviously... Now, look, I'm not crazy. If you if you thought that in one hour, I would sit here and cover Britney Spears' entire relationship with Kevin Federline in her entire breakdown, you're absolutely out of your fucking mind. This will most likely be a part one, part two, and possibly a part three episode. I'm not even sure yet. Because what I was able to cram into an hour for this one um, completely blew my mind. Who knows how this, how long this will actually run, but I'm assuming this is probably going to be a part two. I'd love to just do an entire episode dedicated to Britney's breakdown and kind of everything surrounding that whole thing. And uh, yeah, so let's just get into it. It's been six minutes. The one who says he hates foreplay has foreplayed you to death. Like, you're already grabbing your coat and picking up and going home. Let's just get into it. You guys, Britney Spears and Kevin Federline started dating in April of 2004. They got engaged in July of the same year. And they got married in September um, of the same year. <laughs> they divorced on November 7th of 2006. Um, they have two children together, as you know, Sean Preston and Jaden James. And, uh... Yeah, this is, you know, where I kind of have to remind myself that I am a professional and that housekeeping is a vital part of this podcast. So, you know, occasionally your boy has to throw out facts that you already know. You know what I mean? And I have to remind myself that there are people who don't know these things. You know, there are people who weren't immersed in this culture during this time or, you know, were maybe a little bit too young to remember. There are a lot of people who don't really remember what happened during Britney and Kevin's relationship because they were too young. And all they know is that she had kids with some white trash guy and shaved her head. I mean, that's really the narrative for a lot of young people. So it is said <laughs> that Kevin Sutterline um, was the catalyst for Britney's 2007 breakdown. You may have heard of it. 
And um, for Britney fans, for Britney admirers, for the general public, people cite Britney's relationship with Kevin as a turning point in her career that changed the trajectory of where her life was going. And uh, for the remainder of her adulthood, things have pretty much never really been the same. Um, I make references to K-Fed all the time. As you know, I think that every woman um, who has a, you know, a, a colorful dating history has dated a K-Fed. I think that every woman needs to go through a K-Fed period in order to appreciate the love that a normal man, a healthy, happy, normal person would give her, man or woman. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I think a lot of things. But K-Fed is such a, uh, he's such a descriptor for me of a specific kind of man and a specific kind of time in a woman's life where she is blinded by, let's just say it, you guys, the cock. You know what I mean? She's just dick sprung and she's had her her, her brains fucked out. Truly, it's oozing, her brain is out, oozing out of her ears because she's orgasmed so many times. And she just is making wild and crazy choices that she'll look back on, you know, in 10 years and say, who the hell was I during that time? Who was I? Who did I think I was? Who was I? What was I thinking? Um, where we left off in our previous Britney saga, she had broken up with Columbus Short, um, essentially because her parents made her. Uh, as mentioned in the episode, he was also married and went through a very public divorce because of his relationship with Britney. Um, I also mentioned at the end of that episode um, that I believe in every part of my soul that Britney got married to Jason Alexander in Las Vegas because she was rebelling against her family and against Larry and, uh, you know, for forcing her to end her relationship with Columbus. I think she'd really felt a loss of control over her life at that point, um, which is something that she hadn't had, I mean, really ever. But I think at that time specifically, she really kind of grew tired of having people make decisions for her. Um, also, just to recap, during this insane time in her life, you know, she's still promoting an album, um, that may or may not have been, you know, it may not have been the most successful album of her career, whatever. Uh, but it was still incredibly successful. Um, we did a whole expose on In the Zone in the previous episode. And, uh, you know, it, it it catapulted her into that sort of diva territory, which... Um, in other words, what I'm basically saying is that you shouldn't be listening to this if you didn't listen to the previous episode. It's it's irresponsible. It's like watching a part two or part three of a movie and, you know, those are just my wishes. Like, I, you know, I, I condemn you from doing that. So if you haven't listened to the Britney Spears and Columbus short episode of this podcast, I really, I condemn you. I'm telling you right now, you hit the pause button. I, I won't allow you to go any further. I, I won't. I'll even stop for a couple seconds and let you find a place to come back. I'll take a sip of water. You're at like 11.18. You come back and, and then we'll talk. Um, but I really wanted to focus on, um, like I said, what was happening post that. And I really wanted to get into the details of this quickie marriage and uh, what was surrounding her life. And, you know, had there not been a Jason Alexander, there would be no Kevin Federline. And I didn't get the opportunity to talk about this marriage really on the last episode because we ended right before it. Um, Brittany ended 2002 in, the slew, in a crazy slew of controversy. 
she had just broken up with Justin Timberlake. She had opened a restaurant that pa- failed publicly. Again, these are all things we talked about. Um, she snubbed her fans at a Crossroad premiere in London and received a huge backlash for that. Um, she had released a movie that was critically panned. You know, she had uh, a family member commit suicide. Um, her parents were divorcing. I mean, it was a bad time. Her dad's alcoholism was really bad. Um, you know, she had been outed by Fred Durst for allegedly wanting his nookie and whatnot. And, uh, you know, she just had all these men sort of throwing stories in the press to get ahead. And it was a really, it was a, it was a, a pivotal time in her sort of like mental state. Um, her friends, her friends that she's grown up with, uh, Britney Sands know them. I mean, Laura Lot, Laura is it Laura Lee? Laura Lai? Laura Lai? Why can't I think of it right now? You guys, it's 3.53 in the morning here right now, by the way. And I haven't slept yet. I'm just saying. I'm like not, I'm not really here. It's Laura Lai. And Jansen, her friends from Louisiana, um, they've talked about how, you know, during this time, Brittany became very sort of fuck the world. Whereas before she was sort of naive and... You know, she was optimistic about her future and about everybody's future in love. And she became bitter during this time and never really recovered from that. Um, And her public image was shifting in a way. I mentioned before that this was a tipping point in her life where she had become, you know, a media fixture because of controversy. And it really started to outshine her music. And, you know... I've always viewed Britney's career as sort of throw it on the wall and see if it sticks. And that's not to sound shady at all, obviously. Um, there are parts of her career that felt very calculated. Like, you could tell that a, a giant boardroom of people sat down and, like, you know, cultivated all these ideas and images and whatever. But for the most part, a lot of it was just sort of trial and error. You know what I mean? She was trying a lot of, like, they were just trying a lot of things and seeing if they would work. And then they would just so happen to work in a monumental way. It just, everything worked constantly. You know what I mean? And when this shift started to happen, it truly felt like her team was just sort of holding on for dear life. And just sort of hoping every day that things would be fine. You know, like, she was always involved in some sort of potentially career-ending controversy after this time. And... I mean, I can't imagine what those meetings sounded like. You know what I mean? And she had become a bit of a, a punching bag publicly. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. You guys know that I hate talking about that curly-haired fucker, but you, sometimes you have to. And when it comes to the media game, Justin Timberlake knows what the fuck he's doing. You know what I'm saying? He was kind of the original Taylor Swift in the sense that he really, for a long time, even though he was constantly shrouded in all this controversy he somehow always came out looking innocent or on top or like a victim or like he didn't mean whatever the thing was that he did he definitely won the breakup you know what i mean tenfold like there's no arguing that justin definitely won that breakup outscored britney uh tens across the board like category is (laughs) Category is early 2000s white male privilege right under our noses. He slithered his curly-headed ass 
out of that media fire. Tens, tens, tens across the board. I will say he kills it when it comes to public. I mean, it's taken us 20 years to even question whether or not Justin Timberlake is a good or a good or bad person. I don't remember ever seeing any sort of article questioning whether or not Justin Timberlake was an opportunist or anything like that ever up until what, like maybe a couple years ago, maybe 2016, 2017. It took a long time for the world to be like, oh, maybe he's kind of an asshole. And I, I waited patiently, literally rocked back and forth, rubbing my hands together, just waiting for the day. Um, and Justin was also very Taylor Swiftian in the sense that he would constantly make these references to his breakup with Britney, but never say that he was talking about Britney. He loved to fan that flame because it it all it did was bring him more popularity and like more um what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, people felt bad for him. You know, sympathy. It brought more sympathy for him. He was the victim in that breakup. She cheated on him. She broke his heart. And he'll never be the same. And she's his creative uh, muse and whatever. And I think that this sort of, um, this like manic pixie dream girl uh, life that Britney was living at this point. um, And actually for a large portion of her life, um, I think that there was a part of her that sort of enjoyed that in a sick way. Even though it hurt her, I think she also kind of enjoyed it. You know, she was very much aware of the fact that Playing the press was a game. It was like a mental chess chess game with the media. And she was really good at it for a really long time until it caught up with her. And we all know that the foundation of Britney's career has always been controversy since she started as a 16-year-old girl. But at this time, specifically, she really leaned in to the controversy and just allowed it to become what she was sort of known for. Um... Another thing that I think is worth mentioning about this time in her life is that she had parted ways with the man who had essentially created the vision that is Britney Spears. For some reason, misinformed people believe that Larry Rudolph deserves all the credit for creating Britney and, uh, you know, gifting her to the world. Which, you know, he was very much a part of it, an an integral part of Britney's success. But for a long time, Britney was managed by a man named Johnny Wright. Johnny and Larry were basically right-hand men for one another. Um, Johnny was the one that really came up with the idea of Britney Spears, of Britney Spears Incorporated. What her image would be, the whole, like, Lolita innocent southern girl who was also kind of slutty and uh you know called everybody sir and ma'am he really exploited that sort of natural thing that she had in her he knew to do that he knew that it would work this was all his image larry was a numbers person larry throughout the entirety of her career he handled deals you know he was a wheeler and a dealer he signed he did contracts like he you know, set her up with endorsements and did all that stuff. But Larry was never a creative. And I think that that is, you know, unfortunately very obvious in the fact that after Britney 
parted ways with uh with Johnny Wright. Like her career changed a lot. Um the way the public viewed her changed a lot. Not just because of this relationship, but things were just different. You know what I mean? Like a, there was a floundering moment where it was like it felt like they were just sort of riding on the tails of her previous success and they didn't really know what they were doing. And to be honest with you, I, I, I think that Larry is like the worst thing happening in her life right now. I really do. Like they just it really it makes sense when you think about it that Larry is a you know, he's just like he's a contracts guy. Like he's the person who walks into a boardroom and sets up a deal with Pepsi. You know what I mean? He's not creative and it's very obvious. Um Again, in our previous Britney episode, we really went ham on In The Zone, so I'm not going to break that down again. Um, I broke down all the singles and how much the album sold and what it meant to her career. Again, if you didn't listen, um, you know, the, the singles from that album included Me Against the Music, Toxic, Every Time, and Outrageous. It just gives you an idea of how terrifyingly famous Britney was. Um, the album was also listed by NPR as one of the 50 most important records of the decade and called it a primer on the sound of pop music in the 2000s. This record was a huge deal. And I also mentioned that uh, Britney ended 2002 in a slew of controversy. She entered 2003 no different. Um, as we kind of touched on a little bit before, um, we previously kind of talked about the kiss with Madonna at the VMAs Um you know, she and Christina Aguilera's feud really ignited, and Christina Aguilera was, uh, you know, she was pretty open about the fact that she was really upset about that kiss and how it all panned out. She was really upset with MTV. She was upset with Madonna. She was upset with Britney. Um, and I would love to kind of just go into that a little bit more because the Britney and Christina feud um, was a big deal in 2003. It was... It was hot and heavy. I mean, it really picked up. You know what I mean? Um, and like I said, Christina definitely was harboring a lot of uh, resentment during that time. Um, you know, it was a huge blow to her ego that nobody really cared that Christina was there. Uh, the running gag was that she her kiss was cut off and people never talked about it. Um, it became known as the Britney and Madonna kiss, which... To be completely honest, and this is truly all tea, all shade, it's very descriptive of Christina and Britney's relationship just in general. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. Let's not pretend that your boy is not biased. You know what I mean? That's the understatement of the year. Um, I obviously picked me a favorite when I was a youngin, and I stuck to it. I ha You know what I mean? <laughs> I never wavered. I never switched back and forth. You know what I mean? I love Christina, talented girl, but you know, your boy's, your boy picks favorite. He's a favorite child. And, um, you know, I'm happy to be corrected in this, but I do have thoughts and I'm happy to hear what you have to say. Cause I know that there's a lot of people that don't agree. So I'd love to just express my feelings and then you can tell me how you feel. You know what I mean? That's how, that's how a conversation works. Now, look, when I look back on the path of Britney and Christina's careers, as young girls, you know, being pitted against each other and forced to sort of duke it out for 20 fucking years, it's always felt to me that where Britney was sort of trailblazing, and as I mentioned earlier, just sort of like throwing things at the wall to see if they'd stick. Some of them did, some of them didn't. 
Christina has always seemed like a person to me who has sort of desperately been trying to either keep up in some way or be noticed or be recognized in a way that she's never felt recognition. I think that Christina is looking for some sort of validation that I don't know. I don't I don't know what she's really looking for, but she's bitter. You know what I mean? And I've mentioned numerous times in this podcast that I I think a lot of female artists, especially female pop artists, I think that their kiss of death is getting stuck in that Madonna cyclone of thinking that you need to fucking reinvent yourself every time we see you. You know what I mean? And feeling like you need to have these specific extreme definitive eras in your career where a chapter closes and another one opens and you know she had like her dirty phase and her fucking doo-wop pinup phase and her bondage era and it just comes off as like kind of try hard and not as genuine to me do you know what i mean whereas with britney it just sort of naturally i feel like britney always just sort of naturally fell into different versions of whatever she thought adulthood looked like at that time you know of, of of whatever her idea was at that time of uh i don't know being like young or a young adult or coming coming into your own it was a little bit more of like a natural transition there's no like geisha period for britney or you know <laughs> like punk rock era it's just different phases of like a young girl growing up in front of the world now look I do think that the reason that we connect to Christina's dirty face so much and the reason why people just love it so much is because I do think that it's the most natural and the most authentic phase of her career so far. Um, that album is beyond beyond any words. It's just it's a masterpiece and it's very obviously her jagged little pill. Um but it came, you know, it came from her heart. And it's not to say that Christina Aguilera didn't write songs in her, the you know, the remainder of her career that weren't special or came from her heart or weren't a big deal or weren't successful. I'm not saying any of those things, but it felt try hard. Like, in my opinion, it felt very try hard to go from dirty to that, like, scooby doo bop doo-wop phase where she was, like, dressing in pinup wear every day. It's just like, who are you? Do you know what I mean? And why do you have to try so hard? Um, and to be honest with you, I've also always kind of had a problem with the way that Christina shades people. Now, it sounds like I'm, I'm saying that I'm not a fan of Christina Aguilera. I really, I very much so am. Like, I love Christina. I listen to all those albums. I still listen to Stripped, like, every week. Um, I just... I don't know. You never hear people say good things about run-ins with Christina Aguilera. I'm just saying. I mean, can we talk? Like, literally ever. And she's always blaming it on this, you know, having this, like, skewed media, the skewed image in the media of who she is. She just did this in her press tour for this album that she released and then just, like, stopped promoting. Um, but she's always blaming it on sexism. And it's like, girl, like, I'm pretty sure Pink didn't try to physically punch you in your face when you guys were forced to promote a single together because of sexism. I think it's because you were just being a little cunt. You know what I mean? You can blame a lot of things in the early 2000s on sexism. A lot of things. But 
come on. You being a cunt to other female artists has nothing to do. I mean, it's you're, if anything, that's you, like, keeping this thing going. This, like, women against women thing that's unnecessary in pop music. Like, why? Cough, Nicki Minaj, cough. I'm just saying. Um, and in 2003, Christina was dead set on appearing edgy. You know, she really wanted to prove herself as an artist. She really wanted the world to see her as this separate entity um, than Britney because Britney wasn't an artist and she was. And um, it doesn't really get talked about very much, but the most scathing and menacing back and forth that Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera ever had was in back-to-back issues of Blender magazine. You guys, do you remember Blender magazine? Can we talk? Do you remember? Ugh. This was like, Blender was like my favorite magazine growing up. I was obsessed. And I'll never forget, your boy was a douchebag in high school and worked at Hollister. Yes, I did. Wore seven collars, popped every single one of them up. Sure, he did. And uh, I remember, you know, Hollister used to like stack cool magazines like in the, in the store um, so at night when I was, like, cleaning up, like, I would have to restack, like, Blender and Rolling Stone and, like, all, like, the, the cool music magazines, like, on the tables and in, in store. And I'll never forget, I was working and I saw Britney on the cover of this Blender magazine. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Psychos.com.